Hi, I'm Mark Scott, Secretary of the New South Wales Department of Education, and welcome to Every Student, the podcast where I get to introduce you to some of our great leaders in education. And today I'm in conversation with Julie Inman Grant, who's Australia's eSafety Commissioner. She has more than 25 years' experience working at the intersection of technology, public policy, and online safety, including with Microsoft and with Twitter. And today we're going to be talking about e-safety for students and families, especially in this difficult period. Welcome, Julie. Thank you for having me, Mark. I've got two questions to start with. Firstly, what is an e-safety commissioner, and what does an e-safety commissioner do? Well, we are the only regulator of online safety that exists in the world, and that's precisely what we do. We have about six regulatory schemes, and we're here to help Australians have a safer, more positive experience online. So we do that in three primary ways. One, through prevention, education, and awareness. We want to prevent it from happening in the first place. But then I've got an investigative branch um, where we um, run the regulatory schemes. So we have a youth-based cyberbullying scheme. So if um, serious cyberbullying, which is described as anything that's seriously harassing, intimidating, humiliating, or threatening, is reported to a social media site and it isn't taken down, we were set up as a safety net and we can advocate on behalf of the child and we'll also engage with parents and educators to get that harmful content taken down. The most more expeditiously that is taken down, the better, the less mental harm and distress that causes. We also run a scheme around image-based abuse colloquially known as revenge porn. One of the first things I decided to do as the safety commissioner was change the lexicon. Revenge for what? Mm. And porn for the parent interest? No. Um, And I think it leads to to, to victim blaming and it's a vile um, invasion of privacy. So what we do is we get um, intimate images and videos that have been shared without consent off more than 150 websites around um, the internet. We have a 90% success rate in doing so. We have a cyber report team that deals with child sexual abuse material and terrorist content. And then some new powers under the abhorrent violent material um, laws that were passed in the wake of the Christchurch massacre um, that Um, allows us to notify um, websites and companies if there is any kidnapping, torture, murder, or incitement to terrorism um, online. So a broad remit there. And then the last thing we do is what we call proactive um, change. So we can play it, we can try and prevent, we can try and uh, play a game of whack-a-mole in terms of the takedown of content, but ultimately we want to minimize the threat surface, right? So one of our major initiatives is called Safety by Design, and what we're trying to do is shift the responsibility for safety back onto the platforms, just like the Congress did and the Parliament did um, by um, mandating the use of seatbelts in cars, Mm. so that they're Um, building in virtual restraints to protect users from harms rather than retrofitting after the damage has been done. We're in an era where uh, more students are online possibly for a longer period of time than ever before. I want to talk with you a bit about advice to parents and advice to families around managing this complexity that COVID-19 has has driven us to. But but you've got school-aged children. How is learning from home in your household? 
I think co-working and co-learning is incredibly challenging. And the way that we've dealt with it in um, my household is we've got a roster. Um, in fact, I've got eight-year-old twins, and they were just remarking that they were excited to be going back to school because they liked the structure and discipline. They, they knew when they were going to get lessons. They knew when they had free play. They knew when they had exercise. And it, you know, it helps my husband and I, who are also working from home, sort of roster our times in um, when we're teaching them lessons or helping them with um, homework. But even before COVID-19 happened, 95% um, of Australian parents told us that they found online safety the most challenging um, parenting issue that they had to deal with. And of course, our parents didn't have to deal with this extra layer of complexity. So now you put us all um, in the same place to co-work and co-learn. Um, unless there is um, a lot of structure and guidance, um, it can lead to some real challenges. So let's talk a little bit about the challenges that families are dealing with at the moment. You know, if, if you find yourself with your family isolating at home, and there's a lot of student learning shifts to uh, learning at home, at least temporarily, and a focus of that online. What are the key issues that parents need to be looking out for now? Right, well, I'd say parents need to be alert without being alarmed. Obviously, the more time kids are spending online, not only with schoolwork, but socializing and through entertainment, um, you know, we want to make sure that there is a healthy balance so that they are eating dinner and meals with families, that they are getting out and exercising, that they're playing other kinds of games that, that aren't electronic and they're, you know, having a healthy amount of screen time if that is in, that, that's possible. I think the other challenges before COVID-19 happened, um, we know that more than one in four teenagers had been contacted by a stranger or someone they don't know online. And um, one of the things that our investigators do is we monitor the chatter um, on pedophile dark web forums. And this, it's, it's like bees to honey. Um, there are you know, literally hundreds of millions of kids sitting at home um, spending a lot of time online, often unsupervised. And so they see this as an opportunity um, to target um, vulnerable kids and um, engage in contact with them. Again, um, there are many things that we can do as parents to help um, manage that. So let's talk specifically about that. If you're, you're, you know, I think parents will understand that there are dark forces uh, loose and our children can be uh, vulnerable to that. But schools and education systems are encouraging students to spend more time online. That's more comfort in, for students in life in an online world. So what's a parent to do in light of these challenges? Well, well I think most parents have a, a higher degree of comfort when they're doing educational experiences online. But what we're trying to do in our own household is when we're letting them, we're setting strict time limitations about how they can use technology for, for pleasure. And so we lay those down and we stick with them. We also make sure that they're using technology in open areas of the house um, rather than behind closed doors. Um, you know, most of the what we call coursed child sexual abuse material that we see um, that we try and take down off the web are happening in teens and tweens bedrooms or in bathrooms. Mm. So um, you know, just bring them out in the open. I also think it's a great opportunity for parents to talk um, to be more engaged in their kids' online lives. Yeah. Co-view, co-play, see what they're doing. Um, 
download new apps with them, um, help them set up the privacy settings, maybe use parental controls. So when you can't be there, you can at least um, monitor and see how much time they're spending online. So you can use those technology tools. You just can't set and forget totally. Um, but you know, when we're sitting down um, at the dinner table, we're not asking them what happened at school or what happened in sport. So I'm asking them about what's happening online, how was everyone doing, um, you know, looking out for signs that, um, you know, uh, again, that your child may be being cyberbullied. Um, you know, people's tolerance, um, whether you're a child or you're an adult, um, we're, we're not interacting physically and sometimes um, words can be um, misread or they can be um, used as digital weapons, if you will. So we've seen a 40% increase in um, online harms overall with COVID-19, including a 21% increase in youth-based cyberbullying. So we're seeing some you know, pretty sad things like um, fake memorials to a child that has supposedly died from coronavirus, and mm. of, of course they haven't, and you can imagine um, how shocking and upsetting that would be to a young person. But also the, the kind of taunts or nasty comments that we're seeing have a distinctive COVID flavor as well. You know, I hope you, you know, catch coronavirus and die. Mm. Um, so, so again, there, there's a lot of fear and uncertainty, and sometimes humans can um, exploit that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, parents and parents' engagement in conversations around this. Um, you know, you were saying that a lot of the harm can happen when kids take devices and retreat. And, um, but there is also this debate. I mean, I remember talking to um, groups of parents, particularly groups of fathers, who, who, who felt almost seemed intimidated by their children's use of uh, devices. Uh, that, that, in a sense, it's my phone, um, what I do with it in my time is, is you know, my decision making as a teenager. How do you open up that conversation and to about using devices in public spaces, shared spaces, and more of it an open dialogue rather than uh, something that's private and belongs to each child? Well, I think there is a lot to unpick there, or unravel rather. Um, and the first, the best guidance we can give, knowing that 81% of Australian parents tell us they've given their children access to a digital device by the time they're in preschool, um, is the minute you hand over that device, you, you are um, framing it as a privilege rather than a right. Um, you're talking about, you know, obviously in an age-appropriate way, and we've got, um, um, some great materials for under fives, for parents of under fives. Um, so f at that age, you know, we're having the parents talk to their kids about being safe, being kind, asking for help and making good choices. Um, we just actually partnered with ABC and Play School and had our, um, the, the first Play School episode um, that had an online um, element or component to it yesterday. Um, so that, that, that was exciting. But it's, it's having these open conversations and s setting those parameters early. It's much harder um, if your kid has been online, you haven't set down limitations, and they're naturally trying to separate or establish independence as, as a teenager. Um, or if they've started habits, if, for instance, if they're usually um, you know, online in the room, it's, it is hard to ratchet, ratchet that back. But what's really important is that you let your children know that if anything goes wrong, they can come to you and you'll help them work through it. You won't penalize them. You won't engage in device denial. 
because we know that about 50% of young people will not talk to a trusted adult um, in the event of some line um, malfeasance or um, altercation. And we because of because of a fear that they'd lose the phone. Yep. Uh, that sanctions would be applied. Yep. yep. And and that's like losing their left arm. I think you you sort of alluded to the dichotomy that also exists between the technological mastery that um, kids have now with computers and and even phones. And so parents do really feel intimidated about, uh, to to talk to their kids about what they're doing online. Um, but we have to remember that it's we've got the judgment, the maturity, and the life experience that um, kids don't have. And this is the type of guidance they need when things go wrong online, because it's fundamentally about human conflict. It's just playing out in a digital space. So just thinking it through as far as different age groups are concerned, I hear you saying that, that when your younger children are first being exposed to devices, you need to set ground rules there about how, in a sense, it's your device not theirs, and in our house, this is how it's going to work. So start early. Uh, if in fact you missed that opportunity, because all of this technology came on the soil pretty quickly and parents were learning right. about it at the same time as children were learning about it, it's being able to have conversations with your teenagers about the kinds of issues that they may encounter yep. online. So, um, so you know, there's been a lot of uh, media coverage of sexting as an issue, and many teenagers will have encountered that or experienced that in one way or another. Are you saying that that's the kind of conversation that, that parents should indicate an awareness of with their children to make it easier for children to raise issues if that emerges with them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and these are tricky and awkward conversations at the best of times. Um, one of the things we have up on our website, esafety.gov.au, is a parent guide, but we also have um, materials for young kids, for um, young adults, because again, the con conversation is going to be different. So we've got um, we've got sort of conversation starters for parents who want to talk to their kids about exposure to pornography, which is much more extreme and violent than yeah. the, the penthouse in your dad's sock drawer. Mm. Um, how do you talk to your kids at the age of eight? How do you talk to a tween? And how do you talk to a teen? Because they're different um, conversations. And uh, with sexting, it's it's really tricky because um, you you don't you want to listen and you want to be there for them. You want them to make good decisions, but you don't want to be judgmental, and you also don't want to be wagging that finger and say, you know, don't do that because the minute you know, this this is actually becoming much more normalized uh, activity amongst young people, and in fact. The area where we've seen the biggest spike in reports is in the area of image-based abuse or sexting gone wrong. Mm. We've seen an overall um, increase of about 86%. Um, and then over the Easter weekend, there was a major sextortion scam that was doing the rounds and um, we had about a 579% increase. Um, but it's happening because young people are going to be separated from the teenage love of their lives. They're going to be curious. They're going to be seeking out this information. They may be seeking intimacy in different ways, and that may be sharing through sharing of intimate images. So we do need to talk to kids about what the risks are, that anything that they share online, even if they're in love now and they really trust their partner, they have to be comfortable that that's going to be content that's going could be seen by anyone and be out there forever. It's just that kids don't have that cognitive ability to to really think ahead and, and, and think, oh, that could in, impact my ability to, to 
get a job, to get into uni. Um, it may be following me for the next 20 or 30 years. It's, it's really hard to get your head around that. Yeah. Um, so you recommend to parents, if they can, to negotiate a settlement or to set ground rules that would not have devices in the in the bedroom? Um, if at all possible. I know a lot of parents have sort of set up um, PCs or Macs in their kids' bedrooms for um, education. I mean, I, I sort of think back to the time when we were teenagers, you know, our parents knew then that nothing good happened behind closed doors. Mm. Um, so we kept them open, particularly when you had guests. And I've heard, um, I've heard it said as well that, you know, you pay for the Wi-Fi um, and there might, even though a lot of devices now have 4G access and the like, to, to have certain hours when the Wi-Fi is on and operational, yep. but at, at night, you know, the Wi-Fi goes down and also devices are charged on the kitchen bench. Yep. Uh, and that's what we do. We do that in our, our, our bedroom because the kitchen bench, the, the kids can go down. And yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and, you know, you see that. So different strategies are going to work for different families. Um, one of the things that we um, have up there is a, a family technology agreement that, again, we developed with Play School because we know that when children are actually involved in the decision-making and the laying down of parameters, they're more likely to follow them. Yeah. Um, but you can do the same thing um, for kids at... Um, a, you know, at an older age or an older cohort. And, you know, there are different issues you're going to be talking to your teens and tweens about. They are going to want their own independence and they are going to probably be going to school and back um, and you won't be able to, to monitor their phone 24-7. Um, and, you know, I have conversations with my kids about like, oh, you know, you know that you don't need to have 2,000 friends on Instagram. That's not a measure of your popularity or your worth or your self-esteem. You know, social media, particularly for a young person, is still s supposed to be about engaging um, with your immediate community. Um, you know, not being an influencer with millions of followers. But um, you know, there's a lot of uh, the peer pressure that they're experiencing today to conform or live up to that curated rock star version of oneself. Mm. Um, even the, the impact this has on body image and, and self-esteem, um, it's, it's really tricky to navigate. Let's talk about teachers because, you know, we've had this extraordinary transformation that's taken place with our pivot to learning from home. And uh, all of our teachers have just engaged so significantly and there's been a massive professional development program that's been in place to equip teachers to be able to uh, lead um, a learning experience for students from, uh, from, from a distance uh, through remote learning. Incredible work and great content have been developed by teachers, but what should teachers be keeping in mind from a safety perspective? We've talked about parents. You know, what do teachers need to get their head around yeah. as we deal with this era? Well, again, um, this is all new territory. And um, when I saw you last at the uh, Sydney Morning Herald mm. event, we had um, reached, we had just launched okay. a online toolkit um, for schools before any of COVID-19 happened because um, this is a brave new world that parents and edu uh, educators are, are navigating. So um, a lot of this covered um, things like um, 
do schools and departments of education have the right um, policies and processes in place? Do they know how to deal with incidents um, when they go wrong? When do they report to the e-safety office? When do they report to the police? When do they bring in parents? Um, you know, and then there's some overall guidance that we tell teachers to, you know, make sure that they're using school authorized accounts or platforms when they're corresponding with students and parents. And, you know, maintaining professional boundaries on social media, that's really um, tricky as well. But, um, you know, it, it really has to be done. We've, we've also seen over the past year a huge increase in both parents and students bullying or um, creating very damaging memes or targeted ab abuse against teachers or principals. Um, so we're, we're kind of seeing some uh, reverse abuse happening there, but you know, there's this whole duty of care and this uh, processes for disclosure that need to be um, understood. And then we're dealing with a whole new set of online platforms um, to deliver online and remote education, everything from Microsoft Teams to Zooms to Google Hangouts. Facebook has just announced that they're uh, launching Messenger Rooms. And they all have varying degrees of privacy, security, and safety settings built in. And just earlier this week in Queensland, there was some Zoom bombing yeah. um, during a lesson where some graphic pornography, children were exposed to graphic pornography. And so one of the parts of our education section that we've built out is um, a, a really broad set of information about how you set privacy, security, and safety settings on all of these various platforms, how you manage your lessons um, to the best of your ability so you can continue delivering that education without being concerned about something going drastically wrong. Yeah. Just a few other uh, questions I wanted to cover, given your background in the tech industry in particular, and again, reflecting on your current job and, and your role as a parent too, I, I sometimes reflect that that a decade ago, we thought there could have been a hypothesis that the technology will take over. You know, so powerful, so effective, learning from screens, great advantages. Now I think the debate from many people who've been deeply involved in the tech industry uh, is about time away from screens, um, the limits to what a screen experience can do. And really, you know, one of the skills we need to be teaching young people is how to turn it off and how to deal with that level of addiction that technology is, um, in a sense, designed to trigger. Um, how are you thinking through personally and how do you think through with your family and the way you bring up your children about time off the grid, time to turn off the phone, uh, time to not be constantly responding to the incessant demands of technology? I think so. Self-regulation is really challenging, particularly for young people. Um, and it's, it's hard for us that are working and when there are expectations that we are going to be um, on and available 24-7. And I think um, in some ways, um, what we're experiencing now uh, through COVID-19 will make flexi flexible remote work more acceptable and more routinized. But I think it's also showing us that um, human interaction, face-to-face -face interaction, is still a really um, critical um, element of our working, personal learning, and professional lives. So one of the most important things I think we can do is model good behavior for our children. I mean, it's um, you, you can't really 
tell your child to be getting off their phone um, if you're scrolling through your Twitter feed at the dinner table. Mm. So we do need to be setting down um, the phone and trying to modulate our own usage. Um, again, I think structure is, is probably good, particularly when we, we are going free range at home um, with technology, and that may be one of our only um, outlets. Um, as you say, uh, technology algorithms are designed to keep people on screens as long as possible, and they also create filter bubbles so that we're not really expanding um, our perspectives. We're being bombarded with news, um, some of it fake, some of it real, but a lot of it negative. So. When I think about media consumption, I think we need to think about it broadly where our children are concerned. I, I, you know, I tend to turn off um, the news when my kids are in the room because it is overwhelmingly negative and um, we don't know how that will affect them mentally and emotionally. You know, they need to have a situational awareness of what's happening. Um, one of the things that we talk a lot about is the, the four R's for the digital age. Um, I guess back in our day I was reading, writing, arithmetic, but Today it's about respect, responsibility, building digital resilience in our kids because it's not a matter of if something is going to go wrong, it's when, but it's honing those critical reasoning skills. And this what I, is what I think is really important because what we're seeing is a raft of social engineering, not only scams, but um, questioning fake news, questioning um, whether the, the news source is legitimate questioning whether um, your friend might have set up an imposter account or is that so-called friend really saying those things about you. Um, even when it comes to viewing this extreme pornography, which kids have pretty ready access to, when you, when you see um, something violent or graphic, you know, un having children understand that these are two actors, this is not what a res respectful relationship looks like. Mm. So these are really important skills that I don't know are being consistently um, taught. Taught, yeah. And, and finally, um, you know, you've worked with big tech companies and, and we know that um, our information is so valuable to those companies and that old line, if you're not paying for it, then you're the product, you're the one who in, in fact is being sold. And a lot of what we are selling when we're online is our time, our attention, our location, our information. And so we give a lot of information to, to Facebook and Google and others. In the light of all that, we've had the app just launched, which is all about giving our information in a sense over to government to try and keep us safe around COVID-19. What are your thoughts on the app? And what are your thoughts on the privacy and safeguard provisions that that underpin the app and, and how should we be training kids about the app? Well, I think you helped me just frame my answer in some ways because, you know, this is all about a series of trade-offs and um, we give far more away, whether we know it or not, to US-based corporations um, by using quote unquote free services like uh, Google and Facebook and a lot more detailed information about us. Um, I've spent a lot of time thinking about and talking to the folks developing um, not only the uh, COVID safe app, but um, those putting together the safety, security and privacy protections. And I have a great degree of confidence that they're taking minimal information, you, you know, your name, your um, 
phone number, um, and you can use the pseudonym, um, your postcode, and your age range. Um, so this is a trade-off, um, and very strong criminal penalties. This is only for health officials at state and territory level. It, there isn't any mission creep. It's not for law enforcement. It's not for surveillance purposes. It can't be misused in any way. We need this to really get ahead of this, and I think we'll have more fundamental liberties at a, a physical level in terms of unlocking social isolation while keeping more people safe. So I think it's a very, um, it's, it's kind of a fur fee that, you're uh, that, that people are comparing the two um, as a huge privacy violation or surveillance. Um, you know, we can continue to be tethered to our homes if that's what people choose to do, but um, I, th I th think we need to be pragmatic about it and really get ahead of the issues. Thanks so much for your time and your insights today, Julie, and thanks for the work you're doing to try and educate us all on e-safety. Uh, at any time, it's an important issue, but in this time, particularly an important issue as so many of our schools and families and students are embraced with the challenge of learning from home. Thanks for your time today on the Every Student Podcast. Thank you. And thank you for listening to this episode of Every Student. Never miss an episode by subscribing on your podcast platform of choice or by heading to our website at education.nsw.gov.au slash every hyphen student hyphen podcast. Or if you know someone who is a remarkable innovative educator that we could all learn from, you can get in touch with us via Twitter at New South Wales Education, on Facebook, or email everystudentpodcast at det.nsw.edu.au. Thanks again, and I'll catch you next time.